We are back. Today's uh, topic is the situation in the Middle East, and I would like to start off by quoting from Body of Secrets, the anatomy of the ultra-secret National Security Agency by James Bamford. In In this book, James Bamford talks about how in 1967, the National Security Agency was listening very closely what was going on over in um, the Middle East. As Israel announced to the world that it had been attacked by Egypt and had launched a major counteroffensive. According to Israel's script, it was, of course, defending itself. You may still think that is what happened at the onset of what was the Six Day War in 1967, but it just ain't so. Israel attacked first and manipulated the world media by a series of false stories put forth with the premise that it was defending itself. Israeli Foreign Minister Abba Eben summoned the U.S. Ambassador Walworth Barbour into his office and told him that Israel is the victim of Nasser's aggression, Nasser being the president of Egypt. Bamford notes that Eben then went on to lie about Israel's goals, which all along had been to capture as much territory as possible. He noted, quote, The government of Israel has, repeat, no intention of taking advantage of situation to enlarge its territory. It hopes peace can be restored within present boundaries. After about a half hour of the deception, Eben brazenly asked the United States to go up against the USSR on Israel's behalf. Now, there are reports in the press that uh, Israel had deliberately attacked a U.N. post. Kofi Annan called it apparently deliberate targeting of the U.N. post. Israel's U.N. ambassador Dan Gillerman denied that the post was intentionally targeted, and Prime Minister Ehud Olmert expressed deep regret over what he termed the mistaken attack on the U.N. post. Since we're going to talk about some nitty-gritty on today's program, let us go to a letter that appeared in the B from George Naylor of Roseville, referring more to events in uh, in Gaza. And by the way, the the Sacramento Bee opinion page is titled the letters section on this, Israel's response to Hezbollah. Because as we see in the U.S. media, it's always Israel that is responding to attacks on it, never the other way around. Wrote Mr. Naylor, Why are we helping Israel against the people of Palestine when they have never attacked one of our warships? The Israeli government viciously attacked the USS Liberty during their six-day war and killed 34 sailors. This was an act of war. Some of these guys were my friends from boot camp. No Palestinian has ever committed an act of war like this. What's Mr. Naylor referring to? Well, the not-very-well-known attack by the U.S. espionage ship Liberty during the 67 war. We would like to refer you again to Body of Secrets, where James Bamford explains how recently declassified NSA documents confirm the fact that the Israeli Air Force attack on the U.S. ship was not an accident. It's an incredible story, and exactly what happened uh, is still not clear, But one thing that is clear is that it was no accident, and when Israel attacked the American espionage ship, it apparently intended to sink it and kill everyone on board. American sailors were pretty sure of that when they observed the Israeli gunboats machine-gunning the life rafts they were putting into the water.
Bamford reveals that they had transcripts of what the Israeli pilots were saying, and they were quite clear in referring to the American flag. It was not an accident. U.S. military authorities revealed later that when President Johnson had been notified of the attack, he said first and foremost he was not going to embarrass an ally, and he didn't care if the ship sank. That's an American ship we're talking about and Americans being shot. Bamford speculates that uh, Israel didn't want it to, to get out, that there had been a rather massive extermination of captured Egyptian soldiers in Gaza during that conflict. Whether that's why, uh, no one really knows. But it certainly reveals how far American authorities will go not to embarrass Israel when it has... Uh, done something very bad and something that it should not have done. In fact, it seems clear in retrospect the only reason that the Liberty attack was not successful was that uh, Israel overheard them scrambling jets to come to its rescue. The jets, by the way, were called back by authorities in Washington for fear that the incident might be an embarrassment to the government of Israel. And yes, yes, as hard to believe as that may seem, the U.S. military elected, based on orders from on high, not to defend her own ship because it might embarrass the Israelis. In uh, Feet to the Fire, edited by Christina Borgeson, James Bamford talks about, and others in this book as well, talk about a document titled A Clean Break, A New Strategy for Securing the Realm. It's a report that was prepared by the, by the Institute for Advanced Strategic and Political Studies. It was a report put together by American neocons, including Richard Pearl, James Colbert, Charles Fairbanks, Douglas Fife, Robert Lowenberg, David Wormser, and was given to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. One of its ideas is that uh, Israel should attack Iraq, and it calls for forging a new relationship with the United States. Referring to some of these neocons, specifically Douglas Fife, Bamford said that uh, he's a number three person in the Pentagon and one of the architects of the war, referring to the Iraqi war. Bamford notes that George W. Bush brought in the neocons because he wanted to follow Ronald Reagan's blueprint instead of his father's, because his father had only one term and Reagan had two. So he brought back all the neocons from the Reagan years. They were called the Vulcans, and they brought in a lot of money and political support from the Jewish community and pro-Israeli groups. Bamford has a lot, uh, a lot to say and a lot that you should read, so I would again refer you to the book. I'd also like to quote from it regarding what Chris Hedges from the New York Times had to say. Chris Hedges has been a war correspondent for 15 years, and he had a few things to say which I found quite shocking, specifically the following. We went to war in Iraq because a group of very limited, neoconservative people who know nothing about the Middle East and how the world works thought we'd have a cakewalk into a big pond of oil and be able to run it. The American press does not cover the Palestinian and Israeli conflict well. Most Americans have no concept of the suffering of the Palestinian people. If you take a list of the restrictions put on South African blacks during the apartheid regime, and you make a list of the restrictions the Palestinians have under Israeli occupation, there's almost no difference. 
Remember that when Palestinian refugee camps are attacked from the air, they're attacked with F-16 or Apache helicopters with American weapons. Remember, the Israelis get $3 billion a year from us and another $10 billion in loan guarantees. If we just took away the loan guarantees, they would never be able to continue this occupation. This interview was conducted two years ago. Hedges was describing the summer of 2001 a little later, where he said he was frustrated having spent so much time in the Middle East. He took a vacation and went to Khan Yunus, a Gaza refugee camp, where he stayed for eight days. Quoting him, Now, that camp is surrounded in a kind of horseshoe shape by Israeli settlements, and they come right up to the fence. The first afternoon I was there, I heard an Israeli army jeep through a loudspeaker in Arabic going, Ta'al, Ta'al, which means come in Arabic. Then the Israeli soldiers started cursing at some Palestinian boys playing soccer. Ibn Sharmuta, son of a whore. Horrible words like this. The boys started to throw stones. They were 10, 11-year-old boys. The jeep, which was armored, was behind an electric fence. So the boys were throwing stones past electric fence toward a jeep, if the stones made it even that far. The soldiers got out of the jeep and started firing live rounds at the children. I was in shock. I'd been in places like Sarajevo, where kids were killed by snipers, or in El Salvador, but I had never seen soldiers entice children like mice into a trap and shoot them for sport. I went back every afternoon, and the same thing happened. I went to every funeral of those children who were killed, or I visited them in the hospital if they were wounded. In the story I wrote about Khan Yunus, I had their names, when they were wounded, where they were wounded, or if they were killed. The Israelis went berserk. So did the Israeli supporters of the United States. But there was nothing they could do because the reporting was ironclad. So what they did, of course, was character defamation. They went after me personally. Later in the paragraph, he says, Over time, I felt that the response was so passionate because it wasn't just that I was reporting a very unpleasant truth of the occasion. It's that I was taking away that trump card that some Israeli supporters use, which is victimhood. Because in Gaza, the victims are Palestinian. They are not Israeli. It seems to, uh, to us on this program that uh, what is going on in Lebanon and Gaza and Iraq are all interrelated. Noted Republicans like Newt Gingrich have already stated to the press that World War III has commenced. We've been reporting for years on this program how right-wing political elements in the U.S. are allied with right-wing political elements in Israel to bring about what uh, Christian evangelicals think will be the second coming, the apocalypse uh, fulfilling uh, the book of Revelations, and which uh, numerous right-wing cranks in Israel think will bring about the Messiah in his first appearance here on earth. We think these are exceedingly bad justifications for entering into warfare, Uh, and of course they are, but the question is, is that what is going on right now? Let's quote from Juan Cole, Middle East uh, scholar and blogger, also writing in Feet to the Fire, who said, referring to the Arab-Israeli situation, They had a peace process starting in 1992 when Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and PLO Chairman Yasser Arafat signed the Oslo Agreement. The agreement envisioned that Israelis would withdraw from, at the very least, most of the West Bank and Gaza, 
and they didn't. In fact, Israeli settlements doubled in the 1990s, and the Palestinians felt very betrayed and ultimately went into rebellion. No one in the American political or intellectual establishment will ever admit that the Israelis were the ones who did not abide by the Oslo Accords, and that moreover, there was a series of timelines for Israeli withdrawals from various parts of the West Bank that they did not meet. Then, when Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, his enemies, Benjamin Netanyahu and Ariel Sharon, successively came into power, and both of them were dead set against Oslo. They did not agree that one should trade land for peace and did not want to even see a Palestinian state. So the Israeli right destroyed the Oslo process and a far righter killed Rabin for attempting it. And the political right scuttled the whole thing. So objectively speaking, it's hard to see in what way the Likud government in particular have demonstrated a desire for peace. We're just about out of time. I'm sorry to say I would like to quote more from Feet to the Fire by Christina Borgeson, but I think you're going to have to go out and get a copy for yourself. We certainly hope to speak with Christina Borgeson in the future, and we'd like to get James Banford, Chris Hedges, and Juan Cole, among others, to speak to you directly as well. Feet to the Fire explains in great detail how uh, you and I and all of us in the U.S. have been ill-served by our media, which has been largely cheerleading what is going on in, uh, in Israel and in Iraq. I don't know what to call what's, what's going on right now, but I am extremely skeptical that, uh, that peace can possibly result from making war. Just as in 1972, it seemed that, uh, that uh, bombing for peace was like screwing for chastity. We could not, of course, possibly cover this topic adequately in the one hour at our disposal, but I think we covered some ground that needed to be covered today. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We hope you will stay tuned for what uh, should be a considerably more relaxing couple of hours uh, with Todd playing some uh, quality music for you on his program to follow, Hometown Atrocities. We'll see you next Thursday at 5, at which point we will talk to Chris Hedges about his movie, Who Killed the Electric Car, and probably talk to our sports correspondent, Sean Mitten, about the continued efforts to screw the taxpayer in Sacramento for the benefit of Las Vegas billionaire casino owners. We'll see you then.